I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. This frolic in the water is from the inaugural Plunge for the Cure held last month at Kitsilano Beach in Vancouver. The registered charity's lofty goal is to raise money to help crush ovarian cancer. My name is Jim Shepard. I am the chairman and founder of Plunge for the Cure to Crush Ovarian Cancer. So in terms of ovarian cancer across the country, there are nearly 4,000 women diagnosed every year. And unfortunately, nearly 2,000 will die in a given year of ovarian cancer. So historically, ovarian cancer has been known to be one of the more lethal gynecologic cancers. That ovarian cancer is often deadly is not surprising to me. The early symptoms, things like abdominal bloating, are often chalked up to digestive problems. By the time we diagnose ovarian cancer, it's often incurable. And there's no screening test like a pap or a mammogram to check for cancer. Our show this week is about a simple surgical operation that takes a gynecologist about five or ten minutes to do and can reduce the number of women who die of ovarian cancer dramatically. An astonishingly easy procedure to prevent many ovarian cancers that most women and many healthcare providers know little or nothing about. The procedure is called an opportunistic salpingectomy, and it's a Canadian invention. White Coat producer Stephanie Dubois has been looking into this. She joins me now in the studio. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Brian. So what struck you as you started to look into this? So I first heard about this when more articles about ovarian cancer started popping up earlier this year. And when we did an episode about ovarian cancer on our sister show, The Dose, experts had mentioned opportunistic salpingectomy, and I wanted to know more. You know, we've heard in many of the stories that we've done on women's health-related topics that women have felt that they needed to do their own extensive research and make sure that they know their options, including the latest procedures or medications, rather than rely on being told about it in a doctor's office. Because this is a relatively new procedure, I wanted to know, do women know about it and are they being told about it? Opportunistic salpingectomy is a procedure women should be aware of. So I made some calls just to see how often is this somewhat new procedure being done and how and when are doctors talking about it with patients. So salpingectomy, that's the technical name of the surgical procedure to remove the fallopian tubes. That procedure is done, for instance, when a pregnant woman has an ectopic pregnancy in which the tube is ruptured or torn and it needs to be removed. That's an emergency operation. The procedure, though, that you and I are talking about right now is called an opportunistic salpingectomy. So what do they mean by that? So opportunistic salpingectomy is the removal of the fallopian tubes at an opportune time. It's considered by experts to be a way to lower an average woman's risk of ovarian cancer. BC's Dr. Diane Miller developed a name for procedure as a way to prevent ovarian cancer before symptoms show up. Miller and others in 2010 launched an educational campaign in BC to get the word out about this procedure, 
because as we know, there's still no effective screening for ovarian cancer. And as you mentioned earlier, often symptoms show when the cancer has progressed to later stages. So when they say opportunistic, I guess what they mean is that the OBGYN, the obstetrician gynecologist, is waiting for an opportunity to take the tube out. So how and when does that happen? Generally, women are told about the procedure when they're scheduled to have a surgery in the pelvic area, like a C-section, for example. One doctor called it a, quote, value-added option. Doctors tell me it's not a standalone procedure, at least in BC, and I want to emphasize that this isn't the same as someone having their tubes tied as a birth control method. This is a different procedure altogether. But opportunistic self-injectomy can be discussed when a woman is looking for birth control options. That's at least what happened with 43-year-old mom of three, Lindsay Mazeppa. She lives in BC's Lower Mainland, where she works as a neurodiagnostic technologist. When she was pregnant with her twins four years ago, her OBGYN said instead of tubal ligation, she should maybe consider having opportunistic self-injectomy done. Here's how she described that conversation. So we had a few questions for her, but really, I mean, considering I was already having the surgery um, and that she had mentioned that there would be literally only a 10-minute extra procedure, the uh, recovery period would be exactly the same that I was already expecting. It, that was really all I needed to hear was the fact that it would really decrease my risk of cancer in the future. We know as women that this is something that we can choose to do and really kind of be proactive about our health um, for the future. You know, ovarian cancer is so, it can be so devastating. And if it's, if some, if we can prevent it in any way, even if it's to have a surgery that might be a little bit difficult to recover from, it's just important to know that that option is there for us. So Lindsay had the procedure done and there were no complications. She said it didn't add anything to her recovery. And since then, she's spoken to others about the procedure and encourages others to really consider it. This is a minor surgical procedure that can, in some cases, maybe a lot of cases, prevent ovarian cancer. You know, it's really astonishing when you think about it that way. The procedure, I gather, takes maybe 10 to 15 minutes to do. And you spoke with a friend of White Coat Black Art, Dr. Raz Mula. He was on the show uh, years ago. He's an OBGYN in Nelson, British Columbia. Uh, so what did he have to say? Dr. Raz Mula is often having those conversations with women about opportunistic salpingectomy at Kootenai Lake Hospital. And he's routinely the one doing the surgery. It's a very, very safe procedure. It's a very quick procedure. It's a permanent procedure in terms of interrupting their fertility. So it's important to make that clear to the patient that if we were to take their tubes out, that's generally shutting the door on their ability to get pregnant. They can through, you know, in vitro fertilization or an, like a, as a surrogate, like they're all very complicated and generally expensive ways to potentially get pregnant once your fallopian tubes are taken out. But I, I stress to them that this is one of those times in life that you sort of make a decision with the understanding that you can't go back from it necessarily. Dr. Mula says that most women do it for birth control and that he offers it to anyone, regardless of age, opting for tubal sterilization, but that the second most common reason is for ovarian cancer prevention. He says it's a really short procedure with an exceedingly low risk of complications. He does stress, though, that it has the potential to lower a woman's risk for ovarian cancer and that a woman could still get it in their ovaries. But the thing we need to emphasize here that's going to come as a surprise to a lot of people, it certainly did to me, uh, 
is that a significant proportion of ovarian cancers don't originate in the ovaries, even though they call it ovarian cancer, it, they originate in the tubes. So removing the tubes reduces significantly the risk of ovarian cancer. Uh, do they take out the ovaries as well when they do the operation? Generally, no. I mean, every situation is different. But doctors say they try to keep the ovaries in younger women. And that's because if they were to remove a woman's ovaries, she could go into early menopause, which we know can increase women's risk of heart disease, cognitive decline, and osteoporosis, to name a few. Here's how gynecologic oncologist Dr. Janice Kwan, who works at a Vancouver General Hospital, explained it. We've learned a lot about the origin of ovarian cancer in the last 15 years. We now recognize that the majority of ovarian cancers are a specific subtype called high-grade serous carcinoma. And the majority of these cancers actually arise in the fallopian tube, not the ovary. We always thought that these cancers started in the ovary because, again, these cancers were diagnosed, would usually be diagnosed in an advanced stage. After the cancer started in the fallopian tube, it would progress very quickly to the nearby ovary, and then it would develop a tumor in the ovary before metastasizing elsewhere. But these two organs, even though they're in close proximity to each other, are actually very different in function. Stephanie, one thing that that uh, you discussed with Dr. Mula, and I think we should make it clear that if a woman has her fallopian tubes removed, she can still have kids, although the process becomes a lot more complicated. That's right. Like Dr. Mula said earlier, it'll mean that she'll have to have in vitro fertilization to get pregnant. And to my understanding, BC has really led the charge on getting the word out about this procedure, the opportunistic salpingectomy. That's right. And as a result, doctors say they're seeing higher numbers of uptake of the procedure. They're ahead partially because, as I mentioned earlier, in 2010, the ovarian cancer research team and others launched an educational campaign to get the word out to the public but also to healthcare providers so that people can have those conversations. And fast forward to earlier this year, the global nonprofit Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance is the latest organization to release a statement which encourages women of average risk to have their fallopian tubes removed if they're done having kids and if they have another surgery in the pelvic area planned. Because as we've mentioned several times now, it is seen as one of the primary ways to lower a woman's ovarian cancer risk. Uh, Dr. Rasmula was being cautious in what he said. You know, he said, we don't know yet to what extent removing the tubes lowers the risk of ovarian cancer, but obviously they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think it was promising. What are researchers saying about the efficacy of opportunistic salpingectomy in lowering the risk of ovarian cancer? Mm -hmm. This procedure is relatively new in Canada, and I say new in terms of other medical procedures that were discovered, you know, years and years ago. Dr. Kwan says because it is new, it will take time to see the true benefits of the procedure. She does say, though, that early analysis out of BC has shown that the number of ovarian cancer cases that we would expect are much lower among those that had the procedure done. A population-based study that Kwan and colleagues did showed that the opportunistic salpingectomy group had fewer serious ovarian cancers than expected. That's compared to the rate they increased among women who just had a hysterectomy or tubal ligation alone. And when you consider how deadly ovarian cancer can be and how it's often detected late, you know, when it's metastasized and when there's nothing that can be done, we don't want to get too too far ahead of ourselves. But there's another way of looking at this, and that is from the standpoint of the women 
who developed ovarian cancer and didn't have this procedure done. Did you manage to find anybody who was in that unfortunate category? Mm-hmm. Actually, I did. So remember Lindsay? Her aunt's remarriage, Donna Pepin, has ovarian cancer. Donna, who is 65 now, was diagnosed in 2006. She was part of a clinical trial, had several chemo treatments and surgery. And Donna says she was healthy for nine years before her cancer came back in 2016. She was diagnosed with low-grade serous ovarian cancer, a rare type. They tried to remove the tumor in surgery but couldn't. And so she's taking a drug that initially shrunk her tumor by 25%. And since being on that drug, her disease has remained stable. She's never had the opportunistic self-injectomy procedure, but she remembers being very emotional at the event where they announced it back in 2010. She says she was a big supporter of the procedure then, and more than 10 years later, she's still a huge champion of the surgery. It's exciting when, when medical science makes that kind of progress and when you can witness it in real time and, and fully realize the impact uh, to the ovarian cancer community, for, you know, as, as an ovarian cancer patient, all, all of our community would agree that this is amazing just to be able to stop it from happening because there is no pap test. There is no way to detect our disease. There's no way to prevent it as, that we are aware of aside from this one opportunistic selpingectomy. So, Stephanie, what do we know about uh, the uptake of this procedure? Are women being told that the procedure exists, that they can have it done? So Dr. Kwan says that prior to 2010, less than 1% of women who had surgical sterilization would have had this procedure done. In BC, uh, one analysis showed that about 74% of those who had a surgical sterilization post-2010 are also opting for the opportunistic salpingectomy. But we'll hear more about uptake from Dr. Kwan's colleague, Dr. Jillian Hanley, after the break. So far, opportunistic salpingectomy removal of the tube has only been offered to women who have been booked for other operations, which is why they call it opportunistic. And I'm wondering, are any gynecologists offering to just remove the tubes, essentially on demand? Mm -hmm. Dr. Kwan says it's not a standalone procedure in BC. And other doctors have told me the same thing. But like you said, it offered if someone is undergoing another surgery. Stephanie, I want to thank you for, for bringing this story to us. Thanks, Brian. We'll be right back. How do you forget your favorite person in the world? 30 years ago, my 14-year-old brother was killed by a speeding police car. And just a week or two after he died, I started to forget him. But what if I could get my memories back? I'm Alex McKinnon, and Sorry About the Kid is a new four-part series about what happens when trauma and memory collide. It felt like something was being torn out of my brain. Just somebody just tore a piece of flesh out. Sorry About the Kid is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. Our show this week is about a minor gynecological procedure called an opportunistic salpingectomy, which means taking out the fallopian tubes at the same time as another scheduled pelvic operation like a C-section or hysterectomy. 
some doctors believe removing the tubes can reduce dramatically the risk of ovarian cancer. Hi, my name is Jillian Hanley. I'm an associate professor at the University of British Columbia in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and I do research on ovarian cancer prevention. BC was the first jurisdiction in the world to make opportunistic salpingectomy widely available. Hanley and her colleagues have been studying current trends to see how well the procedure is catching on in the rest of Canada. Jillian Hanley, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thank you so much for having me. How big a game changer is opportunistic salpingectomy in your mind in in helping prevent certain kinds of ovarian cancer? Well, we're really excited about the preliminary results on the effectiveness of opportunistic salpingectomy as an ovarian cancer prevention approach. And it's exciting for a few reasons. Um, One is that we still have no effective way to screen for ovarian cancer. So despite tremendous amounts of effort to find an effective screening method, we still unfortunately are unable to reduce mortality through screening. So unlike cervical cancer, where pap screens are incredibly effective, we have nothing like that for ovarian cancer. And this means that we have a really high uh, rate of mortality. So five-year survival rates in ovarian cancer are still well below 50%. And this is because until quite recently, we also have not had major innovations in treatment for ovarian cancer either. And so about 15 years ago, we started to think, well, let's go for prevention. Let's try to prevent as many of these cancers as possible. And the way that we tried to do this was through opportunistic salpingectomy, which is removal of the fallopian tubes the tissue of origin for high-grade serous ovarian cancer, the most common and the most lethal form of ovarian cancer. And it's taken us all of this time to get to the point where we now have some preliminary evidence that this is working, that we are preventing ovarian cancers by doing this. You said the results at this point are preliminary. How effective is opportunistic salpingectomy so far in lowering a woman's risk of ovarian cancer? Yeah, so this is why they're preliminary, because the numbers are still very small. We haven't been able to calculate that exact percentage decrease in risk yet. And so right now we've seen, you know, the paper that was published in 2022, we showed that there had been zero high-grade serous ovarian cancers in the opportunistic salpingectomy group. And, you know, that would suggest a 100 um, percent effectiveness. And we, of course, don't believe that that is going to be the case. Um, We think that the effectiveness is going to be very high, but we are still working on that. And we think we'll have that in the next few years. So it's too soon right now to tell if this procedure will have a noticeable impact on cancer rates in this country, at least affecting women. I think what we can say for sure is that we are going to see significantly decreased risks for high-grade serous ovarian cancers in people who have had opportunistic salpingectomies. In terms of how it's going to affect the incidence of ovarian cancer in Canada, you know, that's dependent on how many people actually get this. It's based on having an opportunity to remove the fallopian tube. So if you are already having a surgery somebody's already in your pelvis and has access to your fallopian tubes, they should come out at the same time. So the more opportunities we can take advantage of, the more we are going to change incidence of ovarian cancer in the future. So currently we have a clinical trial open and recruiting 
where we're having this done at the time of colorectal surgery as well, and working with general surgeon colleagues to increase the number of opportunities. And then also, we have research now where we are trying to reach higher risk patients. And we think through the combination of increasing opportunities to remove fallopian tubes and targeting people who are at higher than average lifetime risk. That's what's really going to change incidence of ovarian cancer in Canada. You know, my ears kind of pricked up when you, when you talked about uh, uh, doing a study in which women who are undergoing colorectal surgery also have uh, an opportunistic salpingectomy. So who's doing the operation? Because in my experience, general surgeons don't like to do gynecologic procedures. So are you calling in a gynecologist to do it? No. So in the colorectal surgery trial that we're running right now, the colorectal surgeons are doing the opportunistic salpingectomies themselves. And, you know, what we're doing is we're tracking the safety information on all of that. So this first trial is a feasibility and a safety trial. So what we really want to learn in this first clinical trial is do patients want this and is it safe and is it feasible? Can the colorectal surgeons do it effectively and can they do it safely? And so far, the evidence is really overwhelming that yes, they can. Yes, patients want it. Yes, the colorectal surgeons can do it safely and you know they can do it very quickly too. So of course, we always have to think about the um, implications on the health care system. So you have taken a look at the first update of figures since the last batch from 2016. Are more women finding out about opportunistic salpingectomy and getting the procedure? Yes. So, yeah, um, we while uptake rates are incredibly high in British Columbia, where we started all of this, you know, we were the international leaders in opportunistic salpingectomy and were the first place in the world to have a formal recommendation to do this. And now... Um, this is recommended in at least nine other countries around the world, but it did take longer to trickle out across other provinces. Um, and so we have looked at more recent data that uh, we will be moving toward publication soon, but it does look like rates are increasing in other provinces, which is great. But we, there is still definitely room for improvement. So we are working very hard to you know, get the message out Make sure that people know. So, yes, if you are a patient going in for one of these surgeries, please discuss this with your surgeon. But, of course, we also want this to be coming from the surgeon, you know, that all providers are offering this to their patients and having this discussion with their patients. So we're working hard to get that information out. Which regions of Canada uh, you think could do better in terms of increasing the, the number of women being offered the procedure and getting it? Yeah. So, I mean, there are, of course, two sides to this, which is that, you know, the surgeon has to offer it and then the patient has to accept it. We think that often when we're not seeing rates as high as we would expect, that it's usually more a case of the provider not offering it because there's quite a bit of research that shows that when patients are counseled, they will accept it. A Dutch paper came out that calculated that it was 92.5% of patients who were counseled about opportunistic salpingectomy elected to get it. And we're seeing similar rates with our colorectal surgery trials. So generally, when patients are, are given this information, they, they do choose to um, undertake the opportunistic salpingectomy. Of course, not all, but, but the vast majority do. So, you know, we're seeing numbers 
It's interesting because some of the provinces where we saw the lower rates in our previous study, which had data up to the end of 2016, have shown really dramatic increases. Some of the maritime provinces had very low rates in our first study, you know, where opportunistic salpingectomy for sterilization, for example, they were doing less than one in 10 of their patients that way. And now in 2020, we're seeing that they really have picked up substantially. So Nova Scotia, for example, is now doing close to half of their tubal sterilizations um, through opportunistic salpingectomy. There are still some that are lagging behind a little bit, like we'd like to see um, more uptake in PEI in Newfoundland. New Brunswick had a pretty big growth as well. Manitoba, the rates are still lower than we'd like to see. Ontario, you know, there's a lot of opportunities being missed there as well. There are some providers who really wanted to see those data before changing their practice. And now that we're able to start showing that evidence, we hope to really see uptake increase dramatically. Have you or and colleagues or anyone else looked at women who developed high-grade serous uh, ovarian cancer to see if they had in their past history an opportunity to have removed the tube but it was an opportunity not taken perhaps because it happened at a time when the benefit of opportunistic salpingectomy was either in its infancy or completely unknown. Not exactly that, but there have been historical studies. So when we began to understand that the fallopian tube was where these cancers were originating and then they were metastasizing to grow on the ovary, um, some people did do those historical studies where they looked back and said, if somebody had had a salpingectomy for whatever reason, some other reason, in their um, medical history, were they at a decreased risk of getting a high-grade serous cancer? And they did find um, significantly decreased risks, around 60% decreased risk if you had had a, a historical salpingectomy. But we think we'll see better with opportunistic salpingectomy. Can you think of any other precedent for a procedure like this that can reduce the risk by at least 60% of one of the most lethal cancers affecting women? Yeah, I mean, it, it is really exciting. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, also we really are thrilled to have good news in ovarian cancer because it is just such a challenging disease that we've struggled with for so long. And so if we can dramatically reduce the incidence of high-grade serous ovarian cancer, we are going to be keeping people alive. We're going to be keeping mothers and sisters and friends and all of those people alive. Jillian Hanley, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. It's unusual in medicine to find a surgical procedure like opportunistic salpingectomy that can lower the risk of an often lethal cancer by 60 or 70 percent, if not more. More women will be saved from ovarian cancer as they and their healthcare providers seize the opportunity. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Stephanie Dubois and Amina Zoffer with help from Jeff Goods and Isabel Gallant. Technical support was by Austin Pomeroy. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.